This year, Medicaid programs need to start covering the cost for beneficiaries to participate in clinical trials. On today's episode of GIST Healthcare Daily, health economist Will Shapiro says the new requirement presents an opportunity to greatly improve diverse patient representation in cutting-edge clinical research. It's Monday, July 18th, and I'm Alex Olgan with GIST Healthcare Daily, where you get the headlines and health business and policy news in about 10 minutes. If you like the podcast, please leave us a rating or a review. It helps other listeners find the show. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. It's no secret that clinical trials have historically done a bad job of recruiting demographics that match the U.S. population. While people of color make up about 40% of the population, three-quarters of trial participants for new drugs approved by the Food and Drug Administration in 2020 were white. A recent National Academy of Sciences, Engineering, and Medicine report finds that this has negative consequences, widening health disparities and outcomes, and it's costing the country billions through lower life expectancy, disability, and years in the labor force. There are several reasons why participation is lower among people of color, including lack of access and sponsors not heavily focused on diverse recruitment. This year, Congress is requiring state Medicaid programs to cover routine clinical trial costs like labs and imaging. Will Shapiro is a health economist and assistant professor at Weill Cornell Medical College in New York. He studies Medicaid and is watching how this new policy is playing out. For more than 20 years, Medicare has been required to cover costs of clinical trials like hospital stays and office visits, etc. Then, with the Affordable Care Act, that mandate was extended to commercial payers. Medicaid has been left out until now. Will, why is this policy change significant in your mind? The big omission here is Medicaid. So historically, there's been no such federal mandate in Medicaid, and states have been sort of on their own to legislate their own coverage policies. There are pervasive disparities in clinical trial participation in the U.S. going back now many, many years. Non-Hispanic white patients are nearly two times as likely as black patients and three times as likely as Hispanic patients to enroll in. And again, that's a gap that's widening over time. Um, I think, you know, what does this mean? It's led to study samples that don't accurately reflect those who might stand to benefit and also, I think, leads to inequitable access to novel therapeutics. In many 
condition categories, being able to enroll in a clinical trial is how you get access to the most state-of-the-art therapy. And so not being able to enroll is a, you know, I think meaningful uh, form of, of inequity in our healthcare system. In 2020, Congress passed legislation requiring Medicaid programs to cover routine clinical trial costs starting in January 2022. So where does it stand now? Our sense from from chatting with um, state Medicaid officials is that you know, a lot of them are working through the implementation process right now. And you know, I would expect the remainder to have done that within the coming months. Um, but we know that lots of them are facing meaningful um, implementation challenges and barriers. What have you heard from state Medicaid directors? Because it's obviously up to them to get the ball rolling to implement it. So what are the challenges that they're facing? Yeah, so we've spoken with a number of clinicians from state Medicaid agencies about their experiences implementing the Medicaid trials coverage policy. And so among the, you know, let's say 34 or so states that don't have existing policies, um, officials highlighted a number of key barriers to implementation. I think one of those is really around a a lack of, of what they see as clear guidance from federal policymakers on what the full scope of the benefit should be or how it should be structured. So for example, um, what about sort of wraparound costs for things like transportation or lodging that you know might be necessary to ensure that someone can you know um, actively participate in a trial? Um, another involves data. So if you're reimbursing for services associated with a trial, then you need to be able to, to identify those services in claims. In general, when providers are submitting reimbursements, even for patients participating in trials, they're, they're often not using the various sort of nitty gritty specific modifier codes that are needed to signal that. So it's, it's often very difficult for Medicaid programs and, and managed care organizations um, to determine if they're reimbursing for services being provided in the context of a trial or, or not. And, and the last challenge I'll highlight um, is that, you know, I think some states have been focused on um, first trying to estimate the budgetary implications of this coverage policy, because if there are significant implications, then they might need legislative approval and budget authorization to pursue full implementation of the policy. Um, And so they've been working through that sort of regulatory process um, to, to allow for full compliance with this new law. States are not expecting this to be a big line item. For example, South Carolina estimated it would cost the state anywhere from $500,000 to $2 million a year. The total state Medicaid budget is more than $6 billion. Even before the federal mandate, some states, 16, already required their Medicaid programs to cover these costs. Will, are there any lessons learned from those states that others who are in the process of implementing the new requirement can take away? Uh, that's a great question. Um, I don't know that... Um to be honest, we have a great sense of sort of what those states that have successfully implemented have done well or, or what they've done that's sort of um, most readily correlated with improved enrollment or this policy having a, a meaningful effect. I'm working um, with a bunch of collaborators to study the impact of these policies. So um, we are um, working with data from one of the large Um, National Cancer Institute cooperative groups that runs large cancer clinical trials, um, as well as with um, a company called Metadata, which uh, provides a lot of the back end for clinical trials in the U.S. to look at um, the demographics of 
cancer clinical trial participants across the U.S. going back many years to see, you know, at least historically, when these 16 states turned on these coverage policies, do we see meaningful changes um, in enrollment, both among folks who are enrolled in Medicaid, and then separately, do we see meaningful changes in enrollment among uh, racial and ethnic minority populations in the U.S.? So we are actively trying to understand uh, the, the, the effects of these mandates historically uh, with the goal of sort of informing what we might see with this policy change that is um, happening um, this year, but it is very much an active area of, of inquiry. Just changing the policy alone isn't enough to increase trial participation. What else do you think has to go along with it to actually get patients to sign up for these trials? Yeah, so we know that the barriers to um, trial enrollment are really multifactorial and exist within sort of all levels of the healthcare system. So, you know, certainly federal policy in this area, we think is likely to be, you know, one important determinant of access to trials. We know a big determinant is just whether folks are invited to participate in trials, and that's a function of how trials are designed, so what their inclusion and exclusion criteria are, where they recruit, whether um, minority-serving providers are aware of them, have the resources to enroll folks in trials, um, uh, et cetera. And so um, I think we you know, um, might hope that this sort of policy change will, will meaningfully drive improvements in the equity of clinical trial participation in the U.S., but I think we know there's a lot more that needs to happen to, to address this longstanding and important problem. Um, and in fact, I sh should mention that the National Academy of Sciences recently um, completed a, a mandated report outlining about sort of 20 uh, or so different opportunities to address this problem across all levels of the healthcare system. The FDA is now recommending that clinical trial sponsors have plans to recruit diverse patient populations when they submit trial designs. Do you think these kinds of requirements in combination with the new Medicaid coverage policy will finally incentivize trial sponsors to be more active about trying to enroll a wider range of patients? Both FDA and NIH over time have become much more focused on, you know, first of all, encouraging more diverse enrollment of clinical trial participants and also uh, encouraging uh, better transparency around the demographics of trial participants. Um, I think to date, those efforts have been only partially successful. You know, first of all, we know that disparities remain and are widening. And um, you know, I think most um, research that has attempted to get at, get at whether transparency has improved has, has found that, that there remain very, very significant gaps. For example, you know, a large, I think, majority of trials um, um, that are registered on clinicaltrials.gov, you know, do not have complete demographic information on their enrolled uh, patients. And so I do think there's a real opportunity for FDA, NIH, and potentially other regulators to sort of increase the teeth of their policies in these areas to both incentivize greater transparency and potentially to incentivize actually more diverse trial enrollment with sort of built-in safeguards to ensure that that doesn't have perverse effects. Um, so one thing my collaborators and I have talked about is you know, perhaps piloting some initiatives where um, you know, potentially there actually is a financial cost to, to not you know, um, fully being transparent about trial participants um, um, and or you know, not, not making um, you know, um, solid efforts to enroll diverse populations.
In the private sector, there are big efforts to decentralize clinical trials and make them more accessible. CVS and Walgreens have launched clinical trial businesses over the last year or so. How do you think these efforts will play into increasing participation with Medicaid patients or other previously underserved populations? My initial inclination, my prior hypothesis is that that should have a real effect on um, the number of folks who have access to trials and, and should hopefully uh, diversify the potential set of uh, people who are enrolled. Again, I would still say that that, you know, in a vacuum won't have meaningful effects. We still need, um, you know, doctors to, um, you know, sort of have access to the trial pipeline, um, to know who to uh, refer for what trials, um, uh, because I, th I think the literature does suggest that, you know, really, um, uh, Providers and provider organizations are, are a key factor in determining whether, whether people do get enrolled. As you mentioned, this policy is an important yet initial step to increasing clinical trial participation. What are some other steps that Medicaid programs could take to overcome common barriers that prevent people from participating in these trials? I would hope that state Medicaid programs um, and perhaps CMS at the federal level um, use this as an opportunity to educate the provider community about the policy change and about the need to um, address inequity in trial enrollment. Um, and, um, you know, that sort of information intervention in and of itself might have meaningful effects. And then I think from here, we need to think more long term about how we can use state and federal policy to address, you know, some of the other factors that we think are, are at play here. So, you know, for example, Medicaid is unique among insurers in having a transportation benefit. How can the non-emergency medical transportation benefit in Medicaid uh, be used to address transportation-related barriers to participating in, in trials? Um, I, think, I think there are sort of a whole host of opportunities to, to think about one by one sort of picking off these these barriers as as time goes on recognizing this is a very complex issue uh, with barriers to participation that that really exist at every level in our healthcare system that was will shapiro health economist and assistant professor at weill cornell medical college in new york thanks for listening to gist healthcare daily i'm alex olkin you can check out more insights on healthcare business and policy news on JustHealthcare.com. Just Healthcare Daily is an independent production of Just Healthcare. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. 
That's what you'll feel with Bowlin Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowlin Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlinBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.